Please uh, stand with me as we hear from God's word. From Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come alongside of others, whether it be our children, our friends, our family. Lord, to disciple them, to draw them closer to you. Lord, uh, we pray that you might use us to extend your kingdom and for your glory. Pray for Brandon right now that you would uh, guide his thoughts. Lord, pray that you would speak through his mouth. Pray, Father, that you would uh, prick our hearts and convict us, Lord, of, of ways that we need to grow. May you be glorified through this time and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. I've, I've always been a bit of a proud father. My children were well-behaved and respectful to other adults, and they were obedient. But to be honest, it became sinful how proud that I was. In fact, if, if your children were strong-willed or got into trouble, I was judging you. I would say, in my head, I would say, it's, not, it's just not that hard. It was so bad that my girls, they, they became prideful as well. I remember one time we were in the grocery store and there was a, there was a mother there who had a, her son who was just throwing a fit in the middle of an aisle because he had been denied something that he wanted. And my daughter, who was about six at the time, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, that kid needs a spanking. And I laughed at the time, but it did prick my heart a little bit. And I, I saw in that moment that my, my pride was kind of ugly. Well, when my oldest got into fifth grade, I think God finally was tired of my self-righteousness and decided to do a work in me. You see, we had had our first parent-teacher conference that wasn't just, oh, it's such a joy to have your daughter in our class. No, there were problems. My daughter was failing. She wasn't turning in assignments. Even assignments she had done, she wasn't, she wasn't turning in. And this began a season in my life where God turned everything kind of upside down. Nothing we tried worked. Holly would swear up and down that she had turned in a paper, and then we would find it in her backpack. And, and even when we would show it to her, she would still say, no, I turned that in. I remember turning that in. And I remember thinking, my children don't lie to me. My children don't make dumb, unintentional mistakes. My children don't fail in school. And I heard the words of my own father echoing in my head as he said, deans don't get C's. I wish I could tell you that throughout this time I was a loving and understanding father. But when things didn't improve, I, I began to panic and I resorted to ranting and raving and losing my temper 
to the point where I saw fear in my child's eyes. And yet even my bullying did nothing to change the situation. I remember there was a day I was sitting in a car with my pastor and I was, I was telling him about our struggles with, with Holly and I was, I was voicing all of my fears. I was saying, she's going to be held back. She's not going to get into a good college. I talked a lot about her permanent record. And he listened for a time. And then he said, Brandon, it, it seems to me that maybe you're focused on the wrong things. He said, maybe she's not going to be a straight-A student. But I know her. She's kind, and she cares about others, and she loves Jesus. You know, it's that, it's that kind of simple truth that we pastors, you know, we like to hit you with it when you're down. He wasn't giving me the solution to the problem that, that I wanted a solution for. He was addressing the real problem, my heart, my pride. See, in my pride, I had forgotten what my role as a parent was. I, I was more concerned about my daughter's behavior and her performance. And, and look, if I'm being honest... I was more concerned about my reputation than her future. See, I was more concerned with her behavior than with her heart. And changing my focus to shepherding my child's heart instead of correcting her behavior, that made all the difference. Now, I know... A lot of you, I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing that you're not parents. And, and I would encourage you, don't tune this message out. We all have parents. And, you know, how they raised us shaped us to some degree. And I think that understanding the role, what the Bible's view on the role of the parent is, I think that helps us all understand the view that our Heavenly Father holds for us as He cares for us as children of God. We're in the middle of a summer series in the book of Proverbs, and it's all about wisdom. We're, we're, we're doing an examination of what God's Word says about being wise as opposed to being foolish and so this morning, we're going to unpack our verse a little bit and make sure we understand its full meaning. And then we're going to look at some practical guidance from Scripture on what it means to be a wise parent. So, starting off, I want to talk about a warning and not a promise. I think our Scripture today is one of the most commonly misunderstood verses in the Bible. So, let's read it again. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, when, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've heard many a well-meaning parent claim this as one of the great promises of God. If we simply train our children in the ways of the Lord, then they will grow up to be good Christian men and women. And we certainly should, as good Christian parents, teach our children the ways of Jesus. We're called to be their primary discipleship leaders. 
And there's many verses, some of which we'll look at this morning, that support this. But a problem comes when we look at this verse and think it's one of God's promises. The problem is this. It's demonstrably not true. I know many, I know many good Christian parents who devoted themselves to raising their ch- children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They, do, they did devotions regularly. They prayed together often. They employed loving discipline, and yet their kids, their kids who were maybe superstars in the youth group, they came to them in adulthood, and they confessed that they do not believe in Jesus. Some are even hostile to the faith. Some are estranged from their Christian parents. And I can tell you there's people in prison right now. They've committed unspeakable crimes, and yet if you talk to them, you find out they had a good Christian upbringing. And there are people in the pews of churches, maybe even some of you, who grew up in the church and continue on in the church And yet, you are consumed by a life of sinful rebellion against God. It's not true that if you're a diligent enough parent, your child will definitely believe in God. And it is not true that if you're a faithful enough parent, your child will definitely never deviate or stray from the narrow path. Yet my heart wishes this was true. I long to take comfort in this verse. But that's because I sinfully want to be the one who's in control of my children's destiny. But God does not, in his love for me and in his love for my children, God does not give up his sovereignty over their salvation, including their ongoing sanctification. And the reality is that when I really embrace the truth of this verse... There's more comfort to be found in trusting God than in trusting myself. So if this is not a promise, then what is this verse really offering to us? And I think that in order to see it clearly, we need to back up one verse. If we look at verse 5 and 6 together, this is what it says. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. To get even more clarity, we have to delve into the original language a little bit. See, our translators, they they use this phrase, he should go, but frankly, those words are not in the original text. It's kind of a paraphrase of of a word that comes beforehand. I think a more accurate word-for-word translation would be like this. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in accordance with this way. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So now we see that we're being told that, that if we train up a child in accordance with the way the way of the crooked, 
then even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, it's a warning. It's not a promise. And as David reminds us in Psalm 51, we're brought forth in iniquity. See, the curse of sin is on us even when we're in the womb. And our children, those beautiful, cute little children, they have a sin nature. They don't have to be taught to be selfish or demanding. And if left to their own devices, our children will naturally choose the path of sinfulness or the way of the crooked. And if we indulge this, it will be a lifelong problem for our children. In fact, this is the same dilemma that faces every one of us, adults and children alike. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And left unchecked, our sin nature will run the show. This is why we're told in Galatians 5 that that we need to walk by the Spirit lest we gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. See, we all have a way that we tend to go. And part of the victorious Christian life is learning to identify those sinful tendencies and through the power of the Holy Spirit overcome them. Solomon, in his great wisdom, is advising parents to make this their priority in raising their children. The words train up, by the way, they, they come from one Hebrew word. It means dedicate. It's the same word that Solomon uses when he dedicates the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. See, the temple was set aside for one purpose, the honor and worship of God, and it was done at the very beginning. Solomon in these two verses is saying to parents that from the very beginning, their whole focus on their children should be guarding their souls by keeping them far from their tendency toward the way of the crooked. Guarding our children's souls is such an important job, but let's not misunderstand it. God invites us to be our child's primary discipleship leader, but he alone is sovereign over their salvation. They will not be saved by their own good works, and they will certainly not be saved by your good works. And I think there's freedom to be found in understanding this. But there's an irony to this. See, when we think of this verse as a promise, we behave as if there is a way for us to earn the salvation of our children. Inevitably, this comes through to our children who learn a works-based approach to their Savior. And then every failure results in fear that we're not holding up our end of the bargain and that God will then not have to save our children when they're older. And so ironically, we wind up reinforcing the way of the crooked instead of the way of Jesus. When we give up the idea of this false promise and accept it as a warning, it frees us to help our child understand their sin nature and that they cannot earn their salvation. Now, maybe the way we apply the verses is similar. We, we still teach them God's word. We still correct sinful behavior, but the pressure is off. God is doing the work of salvation, 
and God is doing the work of sanctification in the life of our child. Parents, have you been, have you been toiling under the pressure of this false promise? Have, have you been kept up at night wondering if you're doing enough to save your child? Those of you whose, whose children are older and, and you find that they're not walking with God, are you consistently, constantly reliving their childhood, thinking about what you could have done differently, thinking about what is it I did wrong? Are those of you who have children on the way, are you quaking in fear that you're going to screw them up? My challenge to you is find someone you trust and, and confess your tendency to take on the role of God in the life of your children. Ask them to hold you accountable to trust your children to God's care and control. So let's talk a little bit about what are the duties of the parent. You know, now that we kind of understand the warning of this verse, we're I think we're better equipped to talk about how we put it into practice. How do we guard our children's souls by keeping them from the way of the crooked? Well, I see in Scripture that we do this in two primary ways. First, we give them the gospel, and then we give them discipline. So giving them the gospel, uh, although it'll be more intense than with other people. Our role in the life of our child is to be a disciple maker. So that means that the Great Commission, the, the instructions that Jesus gave us just as he uh, ascended into heaven, this applies to parenting. It says this in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Because of the role that we have in our child's life, we have the opportunity to be teaching them Jesus' way all the time. And this is made clear in another passage of Scripture that Jewish people refer to as the Shema and Christians refer to as the greatest commandment. And we find it in Deuteronomy 6, Verses 4 through 9, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All-encompassing approach to talking to our children about the way of Jesus. My kids, they'll tell you that we really tried to put this into practice in our home when they were growing up. We were constantly having a conversation about the things of God. And it didn't matter what we were doing, if we were doing school or reading a book together or uh, watching a movie or at a restaurant or at church or out and about in the car or doing something fun. 
or, or watching television, there was always an opportunity to see God's truth and then to have a discussion about it. My kids will tell you, I would never let them get all the way through an episode of anything. I would pause it and I would say, Maddie, what do you think about the choices that this character is making? And they'd be like, Dad, it's Scooby-Doo. Just let us watch it. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. I think about these, these words in Deuteronomy, and I realize that, that God knew that his people were going to have many voices speaking into their lives. And many of those voices were not going to be speaking the truth of his word. And he wanted parents to be constantly speaking truth to their children, teaching them his ways so that when other influences came along, they would already know the truth. I think we are, in, we are so in that same place. Our children are bombarded with all kinds of messages online, in shows, in songs, at school, in books, even at the doctor's offices, everywhere we go, people have a message that are often hostile to the way of Jesus and they're intentionally targeting our children. Other messages are all around us that are not aimed at our children, but they're hearing them anyway. Some of these are subtle, some of these are blatant. And I think we can try to shield our children, from, from these voices to some extent. But I am more and more convinced that that is just not possible for us to do for very long. And I think that the remedy is not isolation, but dilution. See, we want to fill our child's well with so much living water that when falsehood drips in, it's of no consequence. But this raises a question, though. What do I need to be telling my kids? Well, there's an excellent book that I, I recommend you read if you're a parent or thinking about being a parent. It's called How Children Raise Parents, and it's by Dan Allender. And in this book, he establishes that all children, and really all adults too, they ask two essential questions in life that need to be answered. And the first is this, am I loved? And the second is, can I have my own way? And how we answer these questions with both our words and our behavior will have a profound effect on our children. See, if we were to answer them both yes, yes, you, you are loved, and yes, you can have your own way, then we'll wind up with a spoiled, indulgent child. If we were to answer both with no, no, we, you can't have your own way, and no, I don't really like you, then we might have well-behaved children, but they're not going to be able to relate well to others. If we say, yes, you can have your own way, but no, I don't love you, well, those children... They'll look for love and acceptance and rules in dangerous and demeaning places. 
The biblical answer is, yes, you are loved. And no, you cannot have your own way. Dan Allender says this in this book, our, our children hunger to know that they are loved unconditionally through failure and success, no matter what they say or do. And while few would ever admit it, they are dying to experience the security and comfort that comes with appropriate boundaries. We can express our, our own love to our children, right? Through words of affirmation or you know, physical affection, things like that. But part of our role as parents is to ensure that our children learn of the steadfast love and faithfulness of their heavenly father. Thus, we need to be talking about it with them they need to be told and constantly reminded of the stories of the Bible that tell us of God's goodness and his faithfulness. It should be pointed out that God's love is always consistent, even when his people are not. Most importantly, our children need to be told and constantly reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to understand that they are sinners in need of a savior. That because our sinfulness separated us from God, that Jesus had to come in the form of a human and live the perfect life free from sin that we're not able to live. They need to hear how Jesus laid his life down for us, dying a sinner's death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we can't pay. And they need to hear that he rose again so that if they believe in him, they can also have eternal life. They need to hear this constantly. Yes, you are loved. You are loved so much that God sent his only begotten son to die for you. But no, you cannot have your own way. And that means we must give them discipline. Our children need to know that their own way is crooked and that there's a better way, the way of Jesus. A part of understanding that, that God loves us is understanding that because of his love, he gives us discipline. It says this in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. The ordinary means of God's discipline for children is through the parents. We are admonished time and time again not to neglect this. Through the discipline of our childhood, we are dedicated to the way of Jesus. There's further wisdom in Proverbs 22:15. It says this, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Throughout the Proverbs, we're told that the fool is that person who has no fear of God, who will not submit to God's authority. In other words, the fool has this tendency to follow the way of the crooked, and Solomon tells us that this folly is all tied up in the hearts of children. 
And God's word tells us explicitly that the rod of discipline is the remedy. Yet Solomon knew that we as parents, who, you know, parents who love our kids, he, he knew we'd be hesitant to employ physical discipline of our children. We don't want to hurt our children. They're so cute. But the biblical response to this hesitation we find in Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. It says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. The Hebrew listener of this, hearing Sheol, would think death. So it's kind of a a bit of wordplay that Solomon is doing here. He's trying to put things into a perspective. He wants the parents to think about the fact that by disciplining their child, they might be, or by not disciplining their child, they might be sparing them from a small amount of physical discomfort, but actually opening them up to major spiritual consequences. Not only does discipline rid our child of folly, but God's word says that when coupled with reproof, it actually imparts wisdom. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. See, this physical act of punishment cements the lesson of the reproof in the child's heart. Now, we're going to talk about reproof in just a minute. But first, I just want to be very clear about what I mean when I say physical discipline. The Bible certainly admonishes parents to use spanking as a disciplinary tool, but only in biblical ways. So first, the rod of discipline, it's almost always explicitly linked to the parent in Scripture. In fact, I would say it's incredibly difficult to make an argument from Scripture that anyone other than a parent should spank a child. I think this is because spankings that are apart from a deep, established, loving relationship are not very effective. Second, the rod of discipline should never be used to vent anger or frustration. It is a measured and controlled method employed in a timely and a loving manner. Consider James 1.20, which says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We do not spank our children out of anger. And finally, the rod of discipline, it's about learning to obey God. It's not about learning to obey mom or dad. Otherwise, it just becomes about a stronger person imposing their will on a weaker person. And that's not good. Now, of course, physical discipline is not and definitely should not be the only form of discipline that we employ as parents. God has given all people, including children, the ability to tell right from wrong, a conscience. When our children are following the path of the crooked, we need to help them see why this is wrong, and they're able to do so. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So, so what is reproof? If you look it up in the dictionary, it says that it is an expression of blame or disapproval. 
So when we speak to our children and correct their behavior, that's reproof. But I believe that biblical reproof takes this a step further. Because the problem with simply telling our children what to do or what not to do is that we create a version of God's law that they are able to keep. If we tell our child, don't tease your sister, they may stop teasing her. But in their heart, they will continue to be jealous of her or resent her for some reason. The wise parent will take the time to discuss the heart issues beneath the behavior. But hear this, the heart issues cannot be changed or resolved by simply talking about them. You can't say to your child, stop resenting your sister. They're not going to be able to accomplish that on their own. Just as we can't stop resenting our boss or our, our enemies or the people around us that we resent, we can't bring about that change in ourselves. The child has to come to the realization that they are not capable of fulfilling the standards of God in their own strength, just as we had to come to that realization in our own lives. And the remedy is the same for your precious children as it is for all of us. It's Jesus. Only God, through the work of his Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring about the kind of deep heart change that our children need. The parent's role is to bring the child lovingly and patiently and consistently to that place where their conscience is stirred and they see that they can never be good enough on their own. Many of us grew up in good Christian homes where we knew the rules and for the most part, we kept them. We were very moral people. We were like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Remember, the younger brother ran away from home and, and squandered his inheritance. But the older brother, he stayed put and did all the things he was supposed to do, following all of the rules. And then when the younger brother returned and was forgiven by their father, the older brother's true colors came out. Yeah, he had followed all of the rules, but his heart was black and filled with resentment and jealousy. My, for, my prayer for you this week, for all of us, is that we'll stop raising our kids to be good, moral people who grow up to be sober, virginal, and college-educated. All of those things are fine aspirations. They're good things to desire for our kids. But our goal must be to guard their souls by consistently helping them to see and avoid their tendency to the way of the crooked. 